is Zif Pichik today on Shtetl, the founder of a very eclectic music festival, Burlesque Wrestling Camping, tells us who he is and why he started the Shazam Fest 10 years ago. And how do you talk to kids about sex? I think it's probably better to just ignore the subject myself, but Corey Silverberg would not agree. Uh, so he wrote a comic book called Sex is a Funny Word to help get the conversation about SEX flowing. Stay tuned for a great show. You can download this or past episodes of Shtetl on the Shortwave from iTunes or at shtetlmontreal.com. Welcome to Shtetl on the Shortwave on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. Uh, I'm your host, Tamara Kramer, and you're tuned into the last episode of Shtetl on the Shortwave. Recorded live in Montreal, we'll be coming to you from the Middle East at the same time for the next few months, so stay tuned for coverage of arts, culture, the sounds and stories from Israel and Palestine. But today we have two great live guests, and the first one is sitting right here with me. His name is Zif Pichik, and he is the founder of the whimsical, eco-conscious music happening called the Shazam Fest. Zif, welcome to Shtetl on the Shortwave. Thank you for having me. So I want to start by asking you if you can describe to the listeners what exactly the Shazam Fest is, what happens in, this, in the eastern townships for four days or so each summer at the festival. Um, Shazam Fest is kind of a gathering of the tribes uh, on our family farm. I've been throwing parties there for, for a long time. We've been living there since 1981, so uh, the spot where we've been doing the festival is a really magic spot. It's been a gathering grounds for Native Americans for uh, th thousands of years, apparently. So we're just kind of continuing the tradition, and uh, I've uh, always been into the arts, uh, had an art gallery, uh, always been into music, so we, the whole idea started bringing people to the farm because it's a beautiful place to share and do it through, you know, creating community through art, uh, music, circus, dance. Uh, we even have a skateboard competition. So, you know, we try to really mix it up, bring people from all sorts of uh, walks of life together because uh, I always think the exchange of ideas is much better when you have people coming from all different places than if you're all from the same group or from the same idea you know so that's kind of the genesis of it and uh we started as a little teeny festival with uh 350 of my friends the first year and uh now we're uh, this year we were close to 1600 people on site so it's grown and it's a lot of fun so it's all about diversity yeah okay yeah the big part of it it's really you know, like my vision of has changed over the years because uh, when I started, I had no kids. Now I have kids. So that's changed things up. But honestly, it's, you know, it was always free for kids. But that whole thing has developed. This year we had over 300 kids, 12 and under on site. So it's really become a family festival, even though we do all this crazy stuff with the burlesque and the wrestlers and everything. But really has become a family festival. And right now we're going through some restructuring because uh, I've been doing it 
for 10 years on my own. And right now I'm uh, kind of, I've had it <laughs> with doing it on my own. So tomorrow we're actually doing a fundraiser and a get together on the farm at the festival site where we're going to get people together and we're going to try to create a group, do it as a group effort instead of being a okay. kind of a loner on the, on the scene. Yeah. It's a lot of responsibility. It's a big deal to organize a festival like that all yourself for 10 years. I mean, I'm sure you have help and volunteers. Yeah, but I, I still did 95% of it, you know, of the organization in, in advance is me on me. So, so what made, motivated you to do that? Well, to stick with it. <laughs> you know, some people have a, some people have a crack addict. I have a, <laughs> Addiction. I have an addiction to organizing events. So this is kind of, you know, I, I spend my money doing this because I don't really know what else I would do. You know, like I've always been into organizing things and doing events and creating space where art can happen because I, I think it's super important. And also, you know, creating something that's not so constrained and organized that, I, you know, like I'm a bit of an anarchist. So I believe that if you put all the right ingredients in the pot, something will create itself. Okay. So a lot of it has to do with that. So it's, you know, playing with the tension of art and, and, and people and how to fit it together to create something new and interesting. So always on my mind. Wow. Um, so you mentioned, uh, which is kind of in keeping with the second half of the show, uh, that there's 300 kids that came this year to the festival. <laughs> and even though there's stuff like burlesque, uh, I, I'm curious, well, like, who were some of the acts at the festival? And how did that mix? How, do, how does everybody um, connect with all the different acts? <laughs> there's a, it's a really... Uh, wide range of of musical acts from uh so-called you know who was there this year to uh bob log the third who's this one-man band from arizona who plays like a mississippi a slide guitar and uh he's okay. pretty wild on stage and uh, sings the you know outrageous songs like boob scotch and <laughs> stuff um but you know like sex and kids i think uh you know one comes from the other. Yes, definitely, and we're exposed <laughs> to far too much violence and uh, far and not enough sex. Like that's my personal opinion, and I never was a big one, about, you know, for censorship. So you know, with the burlesque that we have at the festival, usually uh, the front row is made up of twelve and fourteen-year-old kids, and uh, they love it. And you know, as long as parents don't have problems with it, I have no problems with it because it's really, it's playful. It's uh, it's. I think very healthy, you know, to make fun of it and to, you know, be cool about it. So I think, you know, it's a good place for kids to be because they're exposed to a lot of things, but the kids love the wrestling, you know, so we, we go for the bit of the violence where the wrestlers get to beat each other up for your pleasure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it brings all sorts of things. And we also had Albert Nuremberg doing a laughing championship we've been doing for the last five years. Okay, that's fun. So, which is really, you know, gets the whole crowd going and gets the endorphins flowing because we get everybody laughing. Okay. And uh, you had also Buck 65 this year? Yes. That Is was... that, that's a big coup, no? Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. We, yeah. No, we had a great lineup this year, actually. Uh, of all the shows I've ever organized, this year went the smoothest and was the best uh, artistically wise. We also had, you know, we the, the Jews were definitely in, uh, <laughs> in, in, uh, in the house, you know, between, uh, <laughs> you know, Lila Baum, who sings for uh, The Damn Truth. She's the, you know, and 
uh-huh. uh, we yeah, had, yeah, yeah. you know, So Called there in Albert Nuremberg and definitely all sorts of uh, influences uh, on the artistic community in Quebec, you know, so... You know, definitely, uh, you know, I, I mean, I grew up, uh, my, my father is, uh, my gra- I grew up raised by my grandmother who was an Auschwitz survivor. And the whole, that whole aspect of community and art is a big influence from my grandmother. So Okay, I'll, you know what, I want to ask you more about her. Um, <laughs> I do, I want to ask you more about the festival and about your connection with Judaism too. Yeah. So uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back uh, to talk more with Steve Pitchik. Pshitik. Pshitik, Steve Pshitik. It's a really hard name to pronounce. Yeah, it sucks in English and in French. It doesn't suck. (laughs) Um, uh, So we'll be back on Shtetl in just a couple of minutes. And uh, for your listening pleasure, here's a little bit of uh, Buck 65. The yellow dog, I-95's got a smile on his face and big shiny eyes Up at a decent hour, never ate yet Got a little Johnny Cash in the old tape deck Nothing in the trunk but some baseball gloves Pair of jumper cables and a set of golf clubs Blanket on the backseat, we're in rough shape Sunroof held on with a bit of duct tape Looking for a gas station, better make a list Fill her up with regular, I need to take a piss Sexy girl air freshener, stacks in a pinwheel Top up the fluids, clean the bugs off the windshield Not a care in the world, not a how and a why No destination, not a cloud in the sky Back on the road, not a moment too soon Dish ran away with some other spoon Wicked and weird, I'm a road hog With an old dog singing soul songs Trying to hold on, wicked and weird I'm a rat fish trying to practice doing backflips on your mattress. Wicked and weird. I'm a road hog with an old dog singing slow songs trying to hold on. Wicked and weird. I'm a rat fish trying to practice doing backflips on your mattress. Hole in the muffler, ghost on the shoulder. Cough drops, loose change in the beverage holder. To roll down the window, you gotta use a wrench. Been thinking about brushing up on my French. Right there in the glove box. If you should look, you'll find 40 parking tickets and a copy of the good book. Don't bother looking. You'll never find me. I'm starting from scratch and leaving trouble. Behind me, wicked and weird. I'm a road hog with an old dog singing slow songs, trying to hold on. Wicked and weird. I'm a rat fish trying to practice doing backflips on your mattress. Wicked and weird. I'm a road hog with an old dog singing slow songs, trying to hold on. Wicked and weird. I'm a rat fish trying to practice doing backflips on your mattress. Er hört sich Städtel auf den Shortwave auf CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. on Shtetl on the Shortwave on CKUT 90.3 FM. I'm your host, Tamara Kramer, and I just have an announcement I wanted to make. Coming up soon in Quebec is another quirky festival called Klez Canada, with a focus on music and Yiddish culture, theater, and activism. This summer, Klez Canada is paying tribute to one of the great musicians, actors, and human beings in the Jewish world, Theodore Bekel. 
who a lot of people might know him uh, as the guy who played Fiddler on the Roof, but he did a lot, a lot more. And he's going to be honored with tons of great musicians at the Oscar Peterson Hall in Montreal on August 23rd. It'll be a concert featuring the Klezmatics and So Called and many other amazing musicians. So check it out. You can get information about that concert and about the Klez Canada Festival at Klez Canada, K-L-E-Z, K-A-N-A-D-A dot com. And uh, now we're back with Zif Pichik, founder of the Shazam Fest, person whose name I'm afraid to say. (laughs) (laughs) And okay, so you were saying that you you grew up in the Eastern Townships? Yeah, yeah, I grew up... uh Born and bred in the Eastern Townships, yeah. My parents uh, moved. Uh, my my mom's from Montreal and my dad's from Poland, so uh, okay. they're they're Montrealers. They moved to Laurentians first, had a hippie commune in Laurentians, and then uh, moved to the farm uh, in the Eastern Townships where uh, they were dairy uh, goat farmers. And then um, my mom later on became a doctor in her forties. So in her forties, yes, she so. started in her forties. She uh, went back to school when I was seven, so she would have been thirty-three to do redo all her university university to to become a doctor at forty. Yeah, wow, so. that's amazing. Yeah, so I come from a long line of strong women, and uh, and and because my mom was in school and my dad was working, uh, my grandmother who. Uh, Sarah Nomberg Pschittik, uh, she raised me, and she was uh, quite a quite a character, uh, strong and. Tell me about her. Um, my grandmother is um, from Lublin, uh, Poland. She came from a very religious family. Uh, her grandfather was a very famous uh, a teacher in Lublin at the time, and uh, so she came from an ultra orthodox family and was a communist at the young age of five. And uh, so there was lots of battles between her and her grandfather. He actually used to cross the street when uh, she was, he saw her coming when she was a teenager because she was uh, very, very convinced of her ideas. And uh, so she grew up in Poland, uh, very good at school, super into ideas and, and community and probably went to jail, I think, the first time when she was 15 because of uh, her, her strident, you know, uh, communism. And then... During uh, World War II, her family was mostly sent to the camps. Everybody she knew, her whole family, and she's uh, she survived because she was part of the underground. So she was she ended up uh, in Bergen-Belsen first, and then in Auschwitz, and uh, ended up surviving. I want to go back to that, but first, you said that she was arrested for the first time when she was fifteen. Yeah, because she, she <laughs> did. She ever talk to you about like what the specific issues were about that she was working on? It was equality. She was, you know, workers' rights and equality. She was always, you know, she was a, a socialist, you know. Like, I, you know, when we, we talk about communism now, it's a bad word, you know. Like, they've, you know, what, what we're talking usually when we talk about communism is party dictatorship, you know. It's not communism. What the ideas she had was, you know, for workers' rights, working owning the, the means of production so that we, you know, as workers who create wealth in this world should be able to control that wealth and that's what it all came to is equality and and i i still am a big believer in that when when she came to canada your grandmother did her values from from her time in poland as a communist did they measure up to what she encountered here in canada um yes and no you know like canada still has you know we're still you know despite Harper's best efforts, we're still a socialist country to some extent. Um, she uh, moved here in the, in the late 70s. Um, she'd been living in Israel. 
and uh, because in 68, uh, after being a communist and a journalist and, and a party member, um, in 68 there was a big uh, depression in the Eastern Bloc and the communists, you know, once again blamed the Jews and took their passports away and kicked my family out. Um, so, you know, they ended up... So my, she stayed in Poland after the war. Yeah, she, she was a part of the government. She, she was a party member. She worked to reestablish things mm-hmm. and was... Uh, you know, a journalist. So she, you know, and she never had problems telling people exactly what she thought. So in 68, they got kicked out. They ended up in Rome and then they ended up in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my grandfather ended up in the States because he had family there. And my uh, uncle ended up joining uh, the Israeli army at 19 after, you know, having his passport taken away. Well, my dad had already come to the States in the six, in the 68. He was in New York. He was uh, working in New York, uh, and uh, ended up, and uh, he was in Czechoslovakia when the invasion Kens who were Polish were part of that invasion. They were driving the tanks, and they were like, "Don't go home. Things are going sour." So he ended up turning around, and he was on his way to Guatemala. And he stopped in Montreal for a day, and a, fr- a mutual friend uh, of his mom's grabbed him off the plane, and he ended up in Montreal and met my mom. So it's like a little bit of a crazy story, but that's wow. how. How, That's unbelievable. So, you know, like the whole, she was quality uh, for women, for, for people, for workers, you know, like that was all that I've been taught as a kid, you know, that we have a responsibility to other people. It's not, the world is not just about ourselves, you know, so that was what I grew up with. And she, you know, my, my grandmother was a huge influence on me, on my friends, on my family, so... And she she looms large in my life. Uh, there's so much more I could ask you, and I, I hope I'll have a chance to, to do that in the future. I guess the Shazam Fest, like, how is that influenced by the teachings, I guess, of your parents and of your grandmother? Like, what is the philosophy of the of the festival? Why? What vision of community are you trying to fulfill with this 10-year-long work of love? Well, it comes down to, you know, creating a place where we can build community. Over the last 10 years, we've created a space where people who don't necessarily... Like, like I said before, you know, people from different walks of life who would never meet have become friends and it's become, we, it's, it's created something larger than itself. You know, the fact that we have all these kids who've grown up over the last 10 years participating in the festival. Now they're all young teenagers or young adults and they're bringing their friends and they, and like, it's not so big that, and, and not commercial like a lot of festivals. So there is space where we can meet and hang out. And, you know, during the year we do other events and it's created like a family feeling, you know, within this community. And we're all working for a better future. I mean, life is, you know, without help, without doing things together, we're, you know, it's, it's a lonely world out there. And, uh, you know, that's the big influence of my grandmother and the fact that, you know, there is always this little leftist bent, you know, in, in how I approach things. You know, I'm not a really good capitalist, so I don't sell water to people. We dug a well and provide water for free. There's all these little things that, you know, come from that because I can't, you know, can't squeeze every little dollar out of everybody, every person because it just goes against my grain, you know. like I, Is it sustainable? Um <laughs> I hate that question. Yeah, is it sustainable? (laughs) I mean, you've been sustaining it for 10 years, so... Yeah, but, you know, I could own a really nice SUV instead, (laughs) you know? But like I said, you know, it's 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 an addiction, you know? It's not... I mean, if I did it for the money, I would have been doing something else a long time ago. But, uh, you know, it's sustainable as in, uh, you know, 
I don't want to stop doing, but, but the money, it's really hard in, in a rural area, in a rural setting to make money doing art. And that's, you know, that's a fact. And also we're like overwhelmed with opportunities now to go do something, you know, like there's always so much out there, you know, now that the internet exists, you know, you, you hear about so much more happenings. What I think is most people end up overwhelmed by the choice of stuff happening so they stay at home and watch Netflix and I think that's a big problem in our in in our world right now that you know we're all attached to these little rectangles of light instead of talking to our neighbors instead of to participating in things you know like we live life online instead of living life in the real world and you know I think that's a bad thing I think you know we should be more engaged socially we should be more engaged with our neighbors we should take the time to talk to people. And one thing I found really amazing this year is I the only time I ever saw anybody's phone out was to take a picture. So log off your phone, get off, you know, leave it right. behind. Come and participate, be there, be present, be in the now, create relationships and that's how we we can create a better place to be. You know, my grandmother always told me it's our responsibility to be, uh, you know, like to share, to to do things together, not to be do it alone. You know, and and that that comes with the pain and the pleasure. You know? Yeah, yeah, the pain of community <laughs> and the pleasure. Exactly, it's uh, you can't live with it, and you can't live without it. No. So this weekend, what is the event? Is it open to the public? Like, if people are interested in the Shazam Fest and want to find out more about it or get involved or help you with it, is this a time to, like... This is the perfect time. Basically, we're inviting everybody and anybody. We're having a fundraiser. We're doing a barbecue. We'll be selling food, and the bar at the site will be open. Um, It's a beautiful place to come pitch a tent, you know. I'm I'm not charging anything for anybody. I'm just uh, contributions. So, if you want to come if you want to become part of the festival if you uh, want to help organize uh, we're having a round table where we'll be discussing how to improve things and basically make up committees for different things to be done because it's a it's a year-long process from the grant writing in September all the way to the festival in July it's a long and and hard process and I'm really looking for more people to become involved and to help out with it. So not so where do people go? Um, you can come check out my website at shazamfest.com. Um, there's instructions how to get there or check out our Facebook page. Uh, there's a Facebook event, actually. It's, you can check us out on Twitter, too, at ShazamFest. So there's many ways. And uh, I'm easily available. Everything you look up ShazamFest comes to me, all the communications. So... It's easy, and uh, yeah, if you want to come, just camp out for the weekend. It's a beautiful spot. We're uh, in a natural amphitheater in the eastern township of Quebec, and uh, there's a river passing by with a beach. It's a, it's you know, we'll be doing campfires. We'll have a couple DJs. Um, we have some Greek musicians who will be coming out this weekend to play some Greek music. You know, a little Rebetica is on okay. the menu, uh, which you know, I'm really actually excited about what's okay. happening. Um, I want to ask you a question that I feel could be annoying for you, but I'm going to anyhow, just because I'm curious. I'm easy. Okay. You mentioned that like when you started the festival, you didn't have kids and now you do. Yes. And you talked a lot about your grandmother and your Jewish roots. And this is something that I've been thinking a lot about lately. What is it about Judaism that you feel like you would want to pass on to the next generation? 
Well, honestly, I'm not. I'm not religious. I'm a. Mm-hmm. I'm an atheist. Okay. But I am Jewish. There's okay. no doubt in my mind about that. I'm Jewish. You know, like I'm Jewish first off because you know they tried to exterminate us. <laughs> You know, and that's a part of it. But I'm Jewish because there's this whole social responsibility that comes with it. You know, like the religious teachings of Judaism, a lot of them are about social responsibility and about how, as a collective, we can lift ourselves up and not alone. I agree with that. So, and that's where my Judaism stems. It's from the activism and from the social responsibility. This, to me, is unquestionably the most important part of Judaism, and I think any religious person or not religious person would agree. Yes. But it's like... Is, how do you convey it or pass it on? Is it talking about like Jewish people from history and what they've done? Is it does it have anything to do with the religion itself? Um, you know, like we we do Shabbat every Friday night at my house with my parents and my brother's family. So you know, there is you know there is tradition that comes into it. Okay, tradition. You know, even though we're not you know religious, but it's there is this whole you know thousands of years of history of getting together and doing things together that and yeah through through philosophers the jewish philosophers through through art honestly mm-hmm. you know yeah. uh, we are you know as jews we are uh, in the arts like you know and very visible there's a lot of us and uh, you know i think that has a lot to do with portable you know the the fact that we needed portable uh, jobs, you know, because you know you never knew when the next program was coming, so you had to run. You always had to have something that you could rely on. I think that you know, and the comedy and the the art that comes out of Judaism. I think that's how my kids will will take it on. Even though my wife is not Jewish, but you know they're influenced by that. You know, because it's in my life. It is part of my life. So I think. You know, there's a... I just want to say, I'm not, like, I, I don't judge. I have no, I'm just... No, 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 I am. I, I, I think the question is very, very relevant, you know? Okay. Yeah, honestly, I think, you know, I'm, I'm undeniably Jewish. But even though I'm, you know, my influence come from, you know, Ken Casey as much as they do from, you know, my, my grandmother or my family or the friends I have, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, for me, the the religious part is not the interesting part. It is all the social commentary and all these, you know, people who took you know think hard of life and what is life in community and and there is the, this whole you know history of uh, social activism in Judaism because I don't think they're separate the religion and the and the the activism. If you're a religious Jew, that's a big part of what you've been taught how to live in community and. Uh, I just think that, you know, the world is so big that nobody has a monopoly on the truth. So we, we should be open to right. all sorts of flavors, you right. know? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm an organic farmer, too, so biodiversity is super important. And not just biodiversity in plant life, but biodiversity in the human condition. And there's always, you know, things that you can learn from by being open and being, and, and being willing to listen to people talk about what their experiences in life we live in a in a big mysterious world and if you can't share the wonder then it's a lot harder to live in this world exactly i know you're an anarchist but (laughs) Steve pritchick for president of the shtetl of the organic shtetl in the eastern town (laughs) anyways i I just want to thank you so much i'm glad that you came into the studio and i got Uh, to meet you it's awesome and good luck with the shazam fest i hope people will check it out shazamfest.com okay so that's ziv pritchik 
saying it right? Zif. Zif. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Don't worry. And I went to French and English school. They messed it up all the time. Zif. <laughs> Shit. Uh, anyways, it's Zif. And uh, uh, we'll be back on Shtetl on the Shortwave in a couple of minutes with Corey Silverberg to talk about how you talk about sex with kids. And, I'm uh, super interested in that. <laughs> so stick around. Stick around. This is a band that I f- I'm pretty sure they played at uh, the Shazam Fest, Les Deluxe. Yes. Oh, yeah. Great band. Um, they're a Montreal band. Yeah, yeah. And they sing in French and English. This one. And this- she's like, uh, she, she's female Elvis. She's awesome. Uh, <laughs> Anna, the, the singer, she's a, one of my favorites this year. So. I'm in love by Les Deluxe. This is Riff Cohen and you're listening to Shtetl on the short way on CKUT in Montreal. Paris, 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 
KUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. And what do you eight to 10 year olds need or want to know from sex? Corey Silverberg is a sex educator, the founder of Come As You Are, the only cooperatively owned sex shop in Canada and the author of What Makes Babies, Sex and Disability, and now a new comic book for parents and kids called Sex is a Funny Word. Corey's with us on the phone from Houston, Texas. Corey, welcome to Shtetl on the Shortwave. Thank you so much. Nice to be here. So I am so glad to have you back on the show. Last time you were on, it was with uh, Dr. Ruth Restheimer. Right. <laughs> I think now that you've, you've come on twice, you're the official shtetl sexpert. <laughs> okay. Oh, there's, there's pressure there. But no pressure. I'll see if I can handle Okay, no pressure. Excellent. So I want to start by asking you, how did co-owning and working at Come As You Are, everybody's favorite sex store in Toronto, prepare you to write a book about sex for eight-year-olds? Oh, it didn't. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I guess except, except for the fact that, I mean, working in a sex store, is a, and I started working in sex stores when I was 16, um, and it's a very weird thing to do because you get to talk to, I mean, I've literally talked to thousands of people about their sex lives in ways that you usually don't get to. So I'm not a doctor, so it's not like an office setting. I'm not a sex worker. I'm not having sex with these people, and I'm not their friend either. So... It's a, I mean, it's a very, it's a, this very unique experience, and, and it does, after a while, the cumulative effect of having done it for about 25 years gi- gave me, it, gi- it gives me a certain amount of co- kind of comfort in talking about almost anything. Now, the way you talk to an adult about sex is completely different than the way you talk to a child. Okay, so what approach did you take in sex as a funny, a funny word? Who is it for? So, I mean, it's written for kids, you know, we say 7 to 10, 8 to 10, but really the, it's written for kids who have, not, who, are not, who have not yet reached puberty and who aren't even really, <clears throat> excuse me, they're not really close. They don't have any friends. Like, it's, no one, it's not like there's kids in their class that are now going through puberty. This was important because there really wasn't a book for kids this age. Basically, books for kids about sex, um, they'd make this giant leap. So there's the books for young kids that are about, just about where babies come from. And then all of a sudden there's books about puberty. And, and there's a whole, you know, the kids that are six, seven, eight, nine, ten, um, they, are, they still have bodies, right? And they still have, <laughs> they still have experience. And, of course, they're in a world where sex appears more and more um, on the radio, in magazines, online, um, in TV shows maybe their parents watch. And so they have questions, and there's lots of opportunity to learn. But the truth is that if you talk to little kids about puberty, and I don't know if you remember this, I mean, I actually have a very clear memory of this, it seems just complete. It's like an alien thing. Like the idea that, like you know, soon your body will change and hair will grow and da da da. If it's not happening to you, and if it's not happening to anyone you know, it kind of doesn't really have much of an impact. So I wanted a book where we would not even deal with that stuff, um, but talk about essentially talk about bodies, talk about gender, and talk about touch, which are kind of three aspects of sexuality that I think all are very real for young children. Okay, and what are some of the issues you've seen in adults around sexuality that you want to address in this book for young kids? Uh, what do you mean, exactly? Like, how, how do you hope that this book for, mm-hmm. for young 8- to 10-year-olds will right, prepare yeah. them for some of the things that they might oh, face later on yeah. as adult, as adult right. sexual beings? Right. Well, I mean, a lot of ways. I mean, I'll start with a very concrete thing, um, which has to do with the bodies that have like vulvas and vaginas and clitorises, which is that uh, there's this real kind of basically sexist underpinning to most other books about sex for kids. 
And what that is is that they talk in quite great detail about the penis and the scrotum and how it works and what it does and all the different parts. And then they almost always confuse the vulva and the vagina. So the vulva is the part on the outside of the body, and the vagina is what's inside the body. And hmm. they're two different parts, and that difference matters. And they actually usually lie about the clitoris. So most of the books, even the, even the most recent ones, say the clitoris is a small part of your body that's on the outside, which actually anatomically is not correct. And, and P.S., one of the things that, 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 you know, one of the kind of things that happens with that is it's kind of like there's the penis, ah! Right, this is like it gets like two or three paragraphs, and then there's this little tiny whatever about the clitoris. Hmm. Um, and it absolutely, I mean, and I, and I certainly have had this experience of talking to many women um, who have these body parts who don't know about them or who don't value them in the same way. So, so there's, I mean, an attempt. I mean, it is a feminist book, and, and it is certainly an attempt to, from a very early age, make sure that everyone knows that their bodies have the capacity for like amazing wonderment and pleasure. And, you know, we don't, we don't really get into that much. I mean, I'm not, we're not explaining pleasure to 10-year-olds exactly. But, but we're making sure that kids start off knowing, all kids start off knowing something about the body parts they have. Okay. So that's one thing. I mean, the other big thing is about kind of communication and consent, right? So this, the book, the, the kind of, the way the book works is every chapter uh, starts with a comic, so sort of a fun story. There's these four characters that take us through the book. Then there's some information, and then there's questions. And the point of the book is not to kind of be an expert guide for kids. The point of the book is to get kids thinking and talking, hopefully with a parent, or at least with like a concerned and trustworthy adult caregiver. And so, so hopefully this is getting kids from a very early age already knowing that they can and should talk about their bodies. They can and should talk about, you know, when, when it feels bad. Um, and then there's this other piece, which is about consent, which is that we talk in very careful ways about not just this idea that, you know, your body is your own and you're in complete control of that, of it, because it's, that, that is a message that we do give kids often and it's a lie, right? We, you know, kids do not have complete control over their bodies. Mm-hmm. And we as parents, uh, you know, if a, if a kid runs out into a street, we are going to grab that kid, even if it's going to hurt them, and pull them off the street. You know, if they break their leg... Uh, we're going to take them to some people who are going to cause them a lot of pain in order to help them. Right. So we t- we talk about we sort of we begin to outline for kids what consent might mean when the truth is you don't have complete control of your body and you don't actually have you know what we, you don't have as many rights as a kid as you will as an adult. So that's a so really good point. That, can I yeah. can I ask how do you differentiate that? Because a lot of times you ask kids to do things that they don't want to do with their bodies, like you said, like right. it, to help them. So how yeah. do you how do you explain the difference you, between what's good and what's not good in terms well, of consent? I mean, in, in our book, the, I mean, we take the approach of we we are just honest and and we aren't we don't put politics before practicality. So the thing is, most of the books that are out there have this idea, this feminist idea that we should tell kids that their bodies are their own and that's what's empowering. And so they do, and they leave it at that, which is a very nice idea, but it's not true. So we don't do that. We say you should always, you should, you can always talk about when touch helps, when touch feels like it helps, and when touch feels like it hurts, that even that, that sometimes it may happen that there are times when someone touches you and they're trying to help, but it feels to you like it hurts. Um, and the main point uh, with this in terms of kind of prevention of sexual abuse and violence is that they can always talk about it, right? So we're not mm-hmm. saying that you'll always be happy. What we're saying is no matter what is happening, 
things you can try and talk about it. Because, of course, unfortunately, not all kids can talk about it. So even to that point, you know, we don't lie to kids. We don't, we don't paint a picture of a world where everything works fine and every kid has complete rights and autonomy. We actually try to show the world as it is, which is a place that's both beautiful but also complicated and confusing. Okay. In that way, I think it's quite a Jewish book. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, this is, it's really funny to me that the most, the most popular books for kids are always a little dark, right? Mm-hmm. So someone like Maurice Sendak is a perfect example. Books are incredibly dark. Um, and they are obviously some of the you know, most loved, best-read books for kids, period. And yet most books that come out for kids these days are full of like sunshine and flowers because I understand, I understand the impulse, right? I have a kid, and I want everything to be sunshine and flowers, but I'm actually not helping my kid at all when I, when I ignore the world as it is, and I really want them to be able to live in the world as it is. And also, I would say there's, there's so much beauty and amazingness in the world as it is that I don't see what's wrong with pointing out that the world also sucks. <laughs> okay. And in terms of talking about the world as it is, how do you deal with the issue of a transgender kids? What are ways that parents can teach their children to be sensitive about gender issues? So, I mean, the most basic thing to do around language, again, is to try to be honest. So in terms of, you know, gender nonconforming or trans youth, right now the way we usually talk about it is we say there's boys and girls, right? Mm-hmm. And so in our book we say there's, there's boys and girls and the rest of us. And we say, you know, we, and when, we're, when we're talking about, like, genital anatomy, we say, you know, most boys have a penis, most girls have a vulva, but not everyone does. Um, and with very young kids, often they don't, they don't want to, they don't need to know more than that, they don't want to know more than that, but, but, they, but they pay attention. And, they, and, and so what, is that, what that's doing is it's making space in the world for trans experience and also for gender nonconforming experience. Um, and, um, and that's sort of, so that's sort of the basic thing that everyone can do is just, just, just constantly be remind, reminding kids that there actually it is more, there are more than just boys and girls and that there are also some boys that don't have penises and some girls that don't have vulvas. And this is very complicated for adults for some reason, but I have to say, because uh, I spend a lot of time talking to young children, it really is not complicated for them. They do not get confused by it. Uh, uh, and uh, they don't, by and large, have much of a problem with it. It's like once they get into their teen years and we've already really screwed them up, that then they're like, kind of like, huh? Um, Things have to so, be a certain yeah. way to be right. That's how they're exactly. socialized. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh, how do you deal with uh, body image in the book? Uh, you know, it's interesting because that, that is an area where I was inclined to be a little kind of sunshine and roses. Um, and it's one of the benefits of the way that the way that I work is that I, I write, and then I spend about a year and a half working with kids and families and some professionals, but mostly parents and kids, reading drafts, showing them pictures, and getting a lot of feedback. And so for this book, I spoke, I talked to over a hundred kids and families, and again a few professionals, um, and uh, and it, and it was good that I did that because they're like they're the ones that were like you know because I did have a bunch of stuff in there about you know love your body your body is beautiful all the uh, etc sort of messages about sort of body acceptance and body love and that and those ideas are still in there but they're tempered you know by the fact that you know we they're all unfortunately there already are a lot of seven eight nine ten year olds who don't love their bodies and I'm thinking of kids both kids who are fat who are going to be getting teased a lot kids that are living with visible disabilities, um, and then, of course, the kids that are already experiencing some kind of sexual abuse, which is not 
a small number of children, unfortunately. And these kids are growing up with very, very complicated and you could say sort of twisted understandings of their body because they are being subjected to violence um, um, and victimized. And, and for all of those kids, when you see a page and, it, and it's just like everyone loves their body, it really it turns them off. It doesn't make sense. It, 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 it just doesn't connect with them. Right. So, so the way we do this is like, so, so one of the messages we have is that like, instead of saying all bodies are beautiful, we say everybody has beauty in it. Um, and that's just a small, and that's actually language that, you know, I borrowed from the disability community, from sort of my mentors and colleagues in, in the disability world. Um, and again, you know, it's not that, I mean, I happen to think that all bodies are beautiful, but the book is, the, you know, but I, this book is written for kids. It's not written for me. And so I, I wanted to use language that would fit for as many kids as possible. Um, so there's that around language. And then the other thing we do in terms of body image is that there's a lot of pictures of bodies, right? So there's a lot of different kinds of bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, tall bodies, short bodies, skinny bodies, fat bodies, um, lots of different colors, lots of different shapes. Um, and we also do it with genitals, right? So this book does, it does have about, it's about six pages that teaches kids you know, the names of genitals and some of the functions of, like, of, of you know, the sexual anatomy. And, and we do that by showing a lot of pictures. So there's, like, ten bums, right? And there's like, there's, like, a whole bunch of penises and a whole bunch of vulvas. So instead of, like, that kind of classic approach, which is, like, the one big picture, which I think, you know, my experience as a kid with that was that I saw the picture and I felt like it didn't reflect me, and so then I felt there was something wrong with me. Right. Right. So instead, uh-huh. uh, we just throw a lot of pictures at them, and 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 what what I'm finding, I mean, the book just came out, so I'm just starting to get emails from parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm finding is that parents are saying, like, you know, we all we love those pages because we all looked at them and decided ones were us. Okay. So, which is this process of finding yourself reflected, um, which is very much, I think, a, a, a something that needs to happen for us to get to that point where we feel good about our bodies is, you know, we need to see ourselves reflected in art and culture in a way that's beautiful. And because Fiona Smith is such a great illustrator, I think everything in the book is beautiful. So if someone sees themselves in the book, they're seeing, they're seeing beauty. Yeah, it's a, it's a great book. And I really do wish I had had something like that growing up. I think it really would have helped a lot. It probably would have changed my life. And I think I, I believe that, no, I'm serious. I really believe that if parents would like share this type of literature with their kids, it could really um, make a big difference to them. Corey, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on to Shtetl on the Shortwave. Uh, sex You're is a welcome. funny word. People can find it at Amazon and hopefully in libraries and bookstores in their neighborhoods. In Indigo chapters, any bookstore can carry it. Okay. Yep. Have a great day, Corey. Thanks. Nice talking to you. So that takes us to the end of today's show. Stay tuned to Shtetl's Facebook page and website, shtetlmontreal.com, to find out about the next show, which will be coming to you from the Middle East. I hope I can bring you sensitive coverage of the site, sounds, art, music, and dilemmas from that part of the world. And uh, have a great summer. We'll be back soon. And I'll leave you with one more band that's been at the Shazam Fest in the past. They're called Les Chiens de Ruelle. And uh, I really like this song. It's very it's called Hushalaga Beach, and uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode of Shtetl on the Shortwave.
devient junkie, attends par ciel. Il faut comprendre mon pain, faut savoir quel problème il c'est. C'est seulement pain, moins le monde que l'absence de fric se fait comme fait de moins en moins l'embattant. Ça fait que plus tu parles de cash, puis tu as plus de malheur. Je vais 